Hello, uh, this is a, I'm Rabbi Aviner, and uh, we are here in our convention in uh, Texas, Waco, Texas, uh, discussing our weekly parsha. And uh, today's parsha is Baalotcha, which is the third one in the book of Numbers. In Ibu, the book of Numbers is actually called Bamidbar, which is in Mihibu means in the wilderness, since it describes, as you know, the 40 years journey of Israel in the desert. So our parsha contains several sections, from which we had to kind of select something to we may discuss today in our convention. Maybe we can find some message for us today here. So let's survey the Parsha uh, from the bird view and uh, before we diving into discussion in detail, just to pick up a proper section for us, so we can learn for us Bnei Noach uh, today. So the Parsha start, this is the third Parsha in a in book of numbers, remember? I hope you open the Bibles, your Torah scroll, books. And let's see, the Parsha start with a section that describes the lightning of the menorah, the candelabra, by Aaron the priest, the high priest. That's how it starts. So Rashi, the commentary Rashi, asks, why is this section written here at all? in a book of uh, Numbers. In fact, its proper site should have been in the book of Exodus along with other sections describing the tabernacle and its vessels, you know, the table, the altar, the golden ta golden ark, and so on. Why, why suddenly this section about menorah, lighting in the menorah, here in the journey, in the wilderness? <coughs> so, Obviously, uh, it was brought here by Moses on purpose. Moses wrote, wrote the Torah later on in his life. He took it out of his proper context, which it should, be, should have been in the book of Exodus, and inserted it here in our parasha in the book of Numbers. So, but why? So Rashi, uh, of course, Rabbi only, Rashi quotes the, the Midrash, the rabbinical Midrash, so Rashi explained that uh, this uh, was done to, in order to appease Aaron the priest and give him a sense that he also got some personal task to perform in the temple. Not as a priest, but as a personal task to lighten the menorah. You know, he did it as a personal function, not as a high priest actually, uh, but as a person... Uh, um, who just happened to be in the in the holy ark. In fact, the lightning of the menorah, it's not considered a service that should be done by only by a priest, but could be done by anyone. Had the menorah been outside the temple, some commentary said, uh, everyone, every, every simple Israeli could lighten the menorah. So anyone, it just happened, since it happened to sit 
in the inner chamber of the Holy of, uh, Temple, so where no only priests can enter. So Aaron, when he was there, he, he was, or any other priest, uh, could have, uh, he, he did it. But he didn't do it as a part of the, of the service that was done on the priest. That's a very important notion. So lighting the menorah or spreading the light is, uh, is uh, relevant or it's, uh, it uh, re relates or it's a mitzvah for any, any person who happened to light the menorah. Not only a priest, even a common Israeli. That's important message. So, Aaron was given the uh, this personal task. Why to appease him? Uh, as the story goes, there uh, before Parsha, last week Parsha, it says that the, all the princes of Israel, each of the twelve tribe, each one brought a sacrifice offering to the to the temple for his dedication of the altar. <clears throat> so uh, here, uh, and Aaron didn't, was not among them, so here come uh, the Torah of Moses and says, Aaron, you have also your personal uh, uh, gift of service you can do to Hashem. You lighten up the menorah. So, is a, in, so this story is nice. The question is, can it be, can it, does it have any relevance to us, to Bnei Noach, in our convention? Well, you can say, of course, that the menorah is not done, the light of the menorah is not actually to shed light in a temple for Hashem to see. Hashem doesn't need the light, but the menorah shed, spread the light actually to, to, uh, to the entire world. You know, the temple uh, windows were actually uh, narrow inside and broad outside like a loudspeaker. So uh, the light of the temple, uh, the light of, of the inside of the chamber from Menorah actually was, was uh, radiating out of the temple to the entire world. So the, the Menorah had seven candles, and each candle spread uh, one message. So we can say that the Menorah actually spread seven messages to to the entire world not only to israel but to non-jews not the entire 17 nations well there is a hint uh, that there might be something here in the torah in the parsha that uh, uh that will uh, um, justify uh that notion that the menorah is brought here for a purpose so we must we probably will find, we should look for some seven messages in the Torah, in the Parsha here, uh, that can be, that Menorah spread them out to the entire world, uh, and every, every person who happened to find them can, can spread it. It doesn't need to be a priest. Every person can light up those candles. So let's go, let's continue our survey and see if we can pick up some other section that has uh, some connection or message to us to Bnei Noach that can be spread by the Menorah. So the second section we find, we come across, is uh, the Torah speak about 
people of Israel, they, they, they traveled far away from the temple, and they, they didn't have a chance to come to celebrate Passover on time in Jerusalem. So what should they do? <coughs> the Torah tell them that you can designate another day, and to, uh, months later, and to celebrate Passover, what's called Second Passover. There is a conception like that. But the question is again, what does this section do, uh, do doing here in the book of Numbers, among, whereas it should have been written in the earlier in the book of Exodus, among other laws of Passover? If it's law of Passover, should be written in the book of Exodus, where the Exodus where the Passover was born. So Moses actually took it again. He took it from there like the menorah, and he put it here for purpose. So what is the message here? Well, you can say that uh, the message is uh, that Israel would travel not only in the desert, in the wilderness, but it will uh, also travel outside the land of Israel, far away from Jerusalem, and they will not be able to celebrate the Passover on time, so what should they do? Uh, they should, should celebrate the second Passover. So there is a notion here, a message to Israel, that uh, don't think you're going to go to Israel, land, and stay there forever. You will find yourself traveling among, not only in the wilderness of Sinai, but you will, uh, you will travel also in the wilderness of history, among the nations. So. There is a message for Israel and the nations telling the Israel you will be dispersed living among the nations and the nations should be aware of it. <clears throat> well, there is a, some, we see some relevance to us, to Bnei Noach, it, we can develop it, but before we jump into discussing it in detail. Let's see if we can find other messages from the Noach in our parsha. So we continue our survey and uh, we come to the next story which is uh, telling about the Israel camp traveling in the wilderness, how it was arranged, so the arrangement of the camp. There's a whole section describing the camp. In fact, it was, as you read it, you see it was a very odd, extraordinary camp, since in travel, as the Torah says here, it traveled like not other, no other camp in history traveled in the same fashion. Why? Because Moses uh, did not uh, follow any map. Or he didn't actually send any human scout to find a way. Instead, what they have, they had the two pillar, heavenly pillars, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that actually emanated from the holy ark and showed Israel the way. If, uh, if the clouds, if the pillars turn to the east, they move to the east. If they turn to the south, they move to the south. To the west, they move to the west. The north to the world. So whatever 
wherever the cloud turned, that's where Moses went blindly in, in blind faith, in Hashem. They completely trusted Hashem to lead them to the Holy Land. Well, is there a message here from Nenoach? Yeah, you can derive a message talking about blind faith. But uh, is there something more than that? So let's consider for a minute the arrangement of the camp, this extraordinary camp. Uh, there were 12 tribes, as you know, and there were, they were formed four wings, east, south, west and north, four wings, three tribes to a wing. So uh, the wing as a travel, uh, they travel by the direction, according to the direction that the clouds showed them, but they were always facing those uh, uh, four corners of earth. They never change. So they all the message is that they always face the entire humanity. So the seven nation, seventy nation of Noahide are watching them from the four corner of Earth as they moved in 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 the in the middle in the center in the wilderness. Now, so there were four wings, but inside the camp there was a fifth fifth swing of the Levite. The Levite were uh, in, the, in the center, they formed the Levite camp, the sixth wing, and at the center of the Levite wing was the priesthood wing, which is now number six. Only priests live, uh, our own children lived at the center. And of course, at the center of the priesthood camp, a wing was the tabernacle itself, with the holy ark at the core of that of that tabernacle. So here we have now a notion that the camp actually consisted of six. Let's remember the number six wings, four to the corner or facing the four corners of the earth. Levite the fifth in the center and, and priesthood at the center of with the tabernacle at the center of everything, the sixth one. So now the holy ark was traveling that was stationed in the, in the middle and emanated the, uh, the the cloud, but when they travel now listen to that. As they travel, people were not aware of it, but as they Israel camp was starting to travel, the Levite actually took out the Holy Ark from the center, from cover it, and they move it to the front of the camp so they can burn. Uh, there was fire tongue emanating from, from, the, from this Holy Ark, and it burned scorpions and snakes and it frightened and chased away all Israel, all of Israel's enemies. You know, the psalm song said that uh, uh, as they travel, the ark filled the valley. There was no valley that wasn't filled, and there was no mountain that wasn't flattened by the Holy Ark. So they could, they could go straight, easily, with no trouble. No obstacle could stop them.
And who said that? Let's say actually the psalm song that we uh, you when we when we chant when we we uh, uh, welcome him to the Shabbat service. Now this is the so the ark was in the front when they traveled, but as they camp, as they came to a rest. The Levite now returned the Holy Ark back to, to the center of the tabernacle. And from there on, no one could see it anymore because it was covered by, by, by the uh, partitions. So there were, uh, at that point, a circle of holiness radiated from it. <clears throat> and nobody could approach it. Beside, not even even the Levite or not even the priest could enter the the holy of holy uh, while it was resting. So it was concealed. The Shekhinah uh, dwelled above the holy ark, in between the golden cherubs, and that's where Moses used to hear his prophecy. So the kedusha, the holiness, radiated from that ark at the as a as a park. So now, what kind of message? Well, that's a nice story. Everyone should know that. But is there a message here from Nenor? So, let's see what comes next. After the after the Israel came. So the next section. So let me summarize. So far, we learn about the menorah. We learn about with the seven candles radiating light for the entire world. Then we learn about Passover. The Israel will, will travel in history far away from, from the land of Israel. And then we learn about the camp of Israel in the wilderness, which is not in the land of Israel, but outside the land of Israel, traveling, re facing the entire four corners of the earth, and uh, with the Holy Ark coming in front when they, when they travel. And they com the camp comprised of six wings. So now after the after description of the camp, comes now another section describing dialogue, st strange dialogue, that looks like out of a place, between Moses and his father-in-law Itro. Now that seems that seem interesting because Itro is a Noahide. So what is the section all about? Moses asked him to join Israel in traveling to the land of Israel. And Itro refuses, that's all. <coughs> so show dialogue. Now, as I said, since Itro is a Noahide, so obviously this section carries some message to us, uh, to our Noahide convention. So let's therefore read it more attentively and see what it says. So we are focusing on in the book of Numbers, chapter 10, verse 29. Let's read it together. And Moses says to Chovab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, the father of law of Moses, we are journeying to the place which Hashem said, I will give it to you, Come with us, or walk with us, 
and we will do good to you. For Hashem has promised good concerning Israel. And it was said to him, and he said to him, I shall not go, I will rather go to my own land and my own birthplace. Now chapter 10, verse 31. But he, meaning Moses, said, Please do not leave us, for I am asking this because you are familiar with our camping in the wilderness, and you might serve as our eyes. If you come with us, it shall be that the same goodness that Hashem will give to us, we will do for you. So that's the section uh, so far. The dialogue continue. Uh, and Moses, uh, Ito refuses to go, and Moses repeat uh, asking him. So, obviously, this dialogue has some message to us because it's a concern of Noahide. Ito was uh, one of the first Noahide ever. But before we jump into discuss discussing it, it will be more fruitful if we continue on analyzing what happened. Uh, in a parsha, there are some other sections that can have some relevance to us. So here came next come in the parsha a small section of two verses uh, that describe the song that Moses uh, in Israel used to chant uh, when the holy ark traveled before and after. He traveled. So when he traveled and they were rested. Let's read it and it says, now here we are at uh, Numbers chapter 10, verse 35 and 36. And it came to pass when the ark journeyed forth, and Moses said, Arise, O Hashem, so that your enemies may be scattered, and those who hate you will flee from your countenance, and when he gently came to rest, he, or Moses, said, Return, O Hashem, the ten thousand of the thousand of Israel. So this is a short section describing a short song. <coughs> Only two verses. But there is something special about this section because if you look at the text, you see that it's enclosed by two brackets one preceding it and one following it. Those brackets look like uh, inverted Hebrew letter Nun, like long, long Nun, you can see that. Uh, they open both to the right, which means in Hebrew to the beginning of the Torah, because the Torah is written from right to left. So if they open to the right, it means that uh, they open to Genesis. Now, what are these brackets? Who put it there? So if you look at the Torah scroll itself, if you happen to look at the Torah scroll itself, you see something unusual. It appears also there in the scroll itself, which is means that it's a very, very ancient bracket. 
perhaps Moses himself to it, to it there, because no one can add or subtract anything from the Torah, not even a dot. So what are these uh, brackets doing there? Why, why are they inserted there? So Rabban Gamliel is quoted, the, the head of Sanhedrin, he quotes that the sex say that the teaching that the section is closed because it travel in the Torah text. Listen to that. It's like a ritual. It's like going back and forth in the Torah itself. How? He says, actually, it was first written at the beginning of the book of Numbers when, when the Torah described the travel itself. But Moses took it out of there, or the context, and put it here on purpose. And, uh, and not only that, but this, this song, as if you should look at it, as if it continued to travel back and forth like recharge, in the Torah itself. So here we have now another section that's not written in place. I mean, it should have been written elsewhere, but it put here together on purpose. We talk about menorah being incorporated here, uh, the Passover section incorporated here, the story of Yitro, uh, 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 we'll see also it's not actually it should it should have been written elsewhere, and now the the section the song of the the song that travel back and forth. So why it is written here? Why why it was removed? Rabbi Gamliel says why it was removed from the beginning of the book and put it here, and the answer is when you follow the, you know, continue to read the rest of the parsha, you see why. We're not going to read the parsha verse by verse, but we're going to continue our, our bird view survey in order to find out if there is any section related to us. We can draw any conclusion for our purpose. So really, after the, after the chant, uh, we have now a new surprise unexpected surprise because soon after the song that Moses and Israel sang with driving, uh, traveling with the Holy Ark the Torah describes a long chain of bad events and all kind of mishaps that happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness they go from trial one bad thing to another so if you look at those bad things, they look they are written here as one chain, long chain of bad event. It looks as if Israel was traveling from one calamity to another. For instance, let's see what it says. First in, in chapter 11, one, uh, verse 1 to 3, they spoke evil against the, in Hashem's ear, and a fire came from heaven, and consume them. That's not a nice story. It's a calamity. Then after that, immediately, uh, they, the Torah said, they despise the manna, the heavenly good sweet manna, they despise it. And they, instead of uh, thanking Hashem for the bread, they wanted real meat. The chapter 11, one, uh, 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 
verse 35. 1 to 30, uh, 35. Or maybe 4 to 35. <coughs> so that's not a nice story, uh, particularly because it ended up as tragedy because as they started eating the meat, uh, a plague came and um, killed many of the Israelites. So here you go, there they go from one calamity to another. Then immediately after that, the third calamity, <coughs> when the Torah speaks about Eldad to Meida, the two evil people who rebelled against Moses and spoke badly about him. Not such a nice story. As if it's not enough, then the Torah brings the story of no other than Miriam, the sister of Moses, who spoke evil against the black woman whom Moses married, and she was therefore inflicted by leprosy, which is not a nice story. And not only that, but Aaron himself was quoted, is quoted here as he also spoke evil against Moses, against his brother, for that woman. So you see a series of calamities that uh, waiting here one after the other in one chain. And the question is, why does the Torah bring them all in such an unusual way? As if the Israelites, they had nothing to do just going from one calamity to another. So the answer Ibn Ezra gave, the commentary Ibn Ezra gave a good explanation. Uh, according to the Midrash, of course. That the chain of event is did re, that's quoted here is not didn't really happen in one chronolog, chronological order, but rather over a long time, perhaps over forty years that they travel in the wilderness. But the Torah counts them here as one chain, for because of a certain reasons they kind of accumulated them, pile them up here. Why? So the Rabban Gamliel, the same head of Sanhedrin I mentioned earlier explain why it was they were brought up here because he says the holy ark as it continued to travel in the as a ritual shall we said in the torah itself he actually it intercepted those calamities from piling up so they, the torah moses put him before the holy ark to that to show that uh, uh, as they happened the Torah actually, the Holy Ark and the Torah in it, intercepted them and uh, stopped them from accumulating. So, as, a, as, as if, as you can look at it metaphorically, as if the section of the song is continued to move on through the Torah text, so it separates those and breaks their chain, so they will never pile up and never break the, the Israel spirit. Without the Holy Ark presence, the calamities would have piled up and would have broken the Israel spirit. So the Ark and the Torah help Israel to survive or to endure those calamities as long as they continue the dangerous journey in the wilderness. So here is a message enormous message, the secret of Israel's survival. You know, the Dalai Lama, they say, <coughs> there is a book of that, 
uh, that once he asked uh, some Jewish scholars, what's the secret of Israel's survival during in such a long history, full of exiles and calamities and tragedies and holocaust, pogroms, inquisition, expulsions, ghettos. So what's the secret? He asked those uh, uh, Jewish rabbis, uh, scholars, because he wanted to learn from them uh, how to how to how his people would survive uh, in their exile. You know, the exile from Tibet. They live now in India, in northern India, and they ask themselves, how can survive in exile? Learning from the Jewish experience. Well. Uh, Literally, did he know? They answer him all kind of questions, but the, the truth is that the secret is not secret at all. The secret of Jewish survival is because of the Torah scroll that's traveling with us, breaking those calamities from piling up. If we don't follow the Torah, if we let it go, we will perish too, historically meaning. And Israel will be assimilated to Israel's neighbors. So our secret is this holy ark traveling with us and breaking those calamities from piling up, being piled up, and breaking our spirit. So the holy ark traveling in front to burn the scorpions the snakes, to flatten the mountain, to fill up the valleys, and to break the calamities from piling up. That's a message. That's a message to Israel. Is there any message here for Bnei Noach? Let's continue uh, to think about it. Uh, First of all, we see uh, there is a certain structure here. The, the, uh, the Israel and Etro camp and Oli Ark traveling together as one camp. So the channel calamities are actually are broken by the Holy Ark, but the Holy Ark is standing behind it is a Israel camp and Israel camp. So they travel together like a train in the Torah. So we have now a first message we can draw. We can probably draw for ourselves. The first candle in the menorah, and we can say Israel camp is part of Israel camp. So Israel, there are three of them. Holy Ark, Etro and Israel camp, they travel together in the wilderness and they and the Holy Ark break the calamities in front of both. So Bnei Noach, Etro is Ben Noach, so Bnei Noach also part of Israel camp as a travel. So Bnei Noach are not just observant or, or spectators. Of Israel journey, they should be participating, participating in it. Spiritually speaking, we'll see the difference. 
But they are part of the Shekhinah camp nevertheless. Yeah, that could be a good candle to lighten up in menorah, and that could be well the first message that we can learn from, from, the, from our Parsha. But let's uh, dive a little more deeper into what we are just reading. Uh, first of all, if Ito is now part of Israel camp, we can designate it as number seven. Because we said already, Israel had, Israel camp is compri- comprises of six wings, four to the f- four corners of earth, Levite in the center, and the priest in the center of the Levite, with the tabernacle, so six Israel wings. Now we said the Ito joined them and as a seven, as an envelope around them, surrounding Israel, as a seven wing. Because we said they travel together. They are one pack. So the camp of Bnei Noach constitutes number seven camp. Well, that's fit. Because, of course, it fits and resembles the seven commandments. Well, that's nice, uh, but let's uh, ask. Uh, let's now read more carefully the the, the message about the Itro dialogue with Moses, and we ask ourselves, what is it doing here in the in in the book of Numbers? Uh, what's the question? The Rambam. And and in another section, another question we can, we should ask. Why it looked like intercepting between Israel and the Holy Ark. It should have been, if Etoh is a seven camp, it should have been, the order should have been Etoh, Israel, and Holy Ark. But the, the order that the Torah brings here is uh, Israel camp, Etoh, and the Holy Ark. So Etoh is like intercepting. Between Israel and the Holy Ark, that's number one question. And the second question is what the more basic question is what it all to do at all here on the second second year in a journey because in the book of in the book of uh, Exodus is mentioned actually before giving the Torah and he went home. So what is it doing here? Who asked that? The Ramban. So the Rambam actually said that the whole story, the whole dialogue, is not didn't occur now, on the second year. It actually happened before, in the book of Exodus, and it's like in all the other section what we said that actually happened in the book of Exodus, only taken from the context and brought up here, on purpose to comprise the message. But the original dialogue actually occurred, Rabban says, at the time of Exodus. So Itro, we, we remember, came to visit Moses, yeah. and he advised him. He, was, he saw that he was sitting all day long, judging, without rest. So he told him why you should sit, judge the people by yourself, set up a judiciary system. He was a very smart man. And Moses, Torah says, they accepted his advice, and erected a judiciary system, as described there. 
And then the Torah says he return home. And it, it looked like he returned home even actually before the Matan Torah, before the giving of the Torah, or maybe shortly after that. So if that case, what is it doing here? So he said well, the Torah brought it here on purpose. So now we understand that, the, that, more, that the, this for, formation structure of the Torah or the parsha is not accidental. Moses put it on purpose in 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 such the, the section. He took it took them each one of them from its proper from the former place and put it in our parsha in a certain order to on purpose. And he put Yitro on purpose between Israel and the Holy Ark. So why is it? So first of all, we can say. That uh, remember we said that the, the Holy Ark used to they took him out of the center of Israel camp and they put it up in the front when they travel. So now you have if in Itro camp the seven camp of Itro form an envelope around Israel camp. So the order is now right because if you look as a travel, <coughs> you see Israel camp. And then Itro camp that actually constitute the envelope, the outer outer wing of the circle that surround Israel. And the Holy Ark is traveling in front of both. And that's why it looked like uh, the order is as if Itro intercepting between the Israel and the Holy Ark. Intercepting because Itro is a circle that surround Israel. So all the ark is in front of it, everything. So obviously the order is, uh, if you wish, all the ark, Itro and Israel, from the front to the back. All the ark, Itro, the envelope, and Israel in the middle. Well, that makes sense, and now we understand the order, and why we understand that Moses was very, very accurate by putting it in this order, and he wanted to give us a message. And the only message, and the message was that uh, Itro, the Bnei Noach, who are in Itro camp, which is now only one person, but in principle it should consist, all humanity should be in that seven wing, so every person in Nenoch camp, in Israel camp, has a direct connection to the Holy Ark. You don't need a mediator between you and Hashem. Again, every Nenoch has a direct approach to Hashem, to the Holy Ark. Yes, Nenoch need Israel as a teacher, as teachers, as priests, functionaries, but not as mediators. So now we can lighten up the third, or the second actually, candle in our menorah with a message for spreading, spread out for the four corners of earth saying that every menorah, or declaring every menorah has or have a direct relationship to Hashem. There's no mediator. 
if you think this is a self-understood message, well, <clears throat> just look at what other religions around us preach, and you see for yourself the difference. Bnei Noach need no mediator to the one Hashem. So, well, we got already two, two messages. One, that the, the, the three of them comprise one traveling camp, Israel, Yitro, and the Holy Ark. That's number one, the camp of Shekhinah. That, uh, and second, that uh, the, the seven, the Yitro comprises actually, actually the seven camp. And uh, the second message would be that Itro has a direct connection to Hashem with no mediator, no need for mediator. Now, can we find other messages? We are looking for seven altogether, candles to light. We already lightened only two candles. So what else can we learn from this unique parsha that specially designed for us by Moses? So let's read the dialogue. And Moses says, he says, continue the dialogue now, chapter 10, 29. And Moses says to Hovav, the son of Reuel, the Midianite, the father of Lord Moses, we are journeying to the place which Hashem said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you, for Hashem has promised good concerning Israel. So let's consider, let's read this section again. Let's first uh, in detail. So, first of all, how they, how they call it. Let's focus on the name. Moses' father-in-law, name. We know him as Ito. Here is called by different name. Chovav, Reuel. And in fact, uh, uh, the, the rabbi said that he got seven names. Those names are mentioned elsewhere. They are... Uh, Itro, Yeter, Chovav, Reuel, Keini, Petiputiel, Hever. You don't need to remember those names, especially if you're not familiar with the Hebrew. But there is a one commonality or common denominator for all these names, which means they all designate Itro as a friend of Hashem. Chovav. <coughs> is a Habibi, the Arab, you know the Arabic word Habibi, my beloved one, that's Chovav. Reuel is uh, literally the friend of Hashem. Putiel is a beloved of Hashem, and so on. So here is a notion that the oldest name that given to Ito uh, has some message that he is a friend of Hashem. By the way, so some people say, why did he change? I, we know him as Yitro, so why all these names? So some commentaries say that because he converted to Judaism, he accepted the 613 commandments. And many, it's very often that people when convert to Judaism, they change the name. But that's uh, uh, not so, because uh, first of all, everything about, about uh, Yitro carry the number seven around him. He had se here we see seven names. He had seven beautiful daughters. One of them was Moses' wife, Tipora. 
is he constitutes the seven wing of the Shekhinah and so everything about him is seven so it means that he certainly was abiding by seven seven commandments in Noahide and it did not convert in that case so why the emphasis of Ito as a friend is there a message here of course there is this message is so profound that actually it establishes the posture that Noah has to Hashem in comparison to Israel what I, what what am I saying Israel is depicted as a slave to Hashem where Ito is a friend of Hashem there's a big difference in fact there is no better difference there is no better way to define Bne Noah the relationship between Noah and Hashem as compared to Israel and Hashem then this uh, this metaphor of a slave as a friend Israel is a slave and Noahites are friends that's cannot find a better way to depict the difference between those two camps what do I mean by that let's see why Israel is a slave if Israel actually was never freed from Egypt it was freed from bondage to men to Pharaoh but it was redeemed and taken out from Egypt to become a sham slave the Torah says it in many times repeated numerous times in the Torah Israel was uh, uh, he uh, Hashem says it is she, the, you are my slave and not a slave to a slave to Pharaoh <clears throat> so you you are my slaves so well is it a uh, important to become to be called a slave in fact there is no better greater honor in the earth than to be called a a slave to Hashem only three people in the entire Bible is merited to be called as such Moses Joshua and David Moses is a slave of Hashem Joshua when he passed away it called is called slave of Hashem and David of my slave only these two people Joshua Moses Joshua and David King David are called slave of Hashem so obviously to be a slave of Hashem is a great honor and Israel the nation of Israel is also called the slave of Hashem it's a great honor but also a great responsibility because Israel what is we need to be slave to Hashem because our entire life is subjected to his service therefore he gave us a six under commandment and to Noah he gave only seven he gave us six hundred commandments to remind us day and night that we are we have a special status we are his slaves we have no free time we must learn Torah day and night the Noahide don't have to and we must remember him every moment from we wake up to the, to the time we go to bed we, we wear special clothes we uh, with the fringes and we put feeling we all that meets what to remind us that uh, uh, that he is uh, our king and our master Adonai circumcision means the emblem of the master in our body 
So being a slave, of course, it carry, it's a great honor to be a slave of Hashem, but also carry a great liability. If you don't wait, if you don't behave, we are punished severely. But it also carry intimacy. You know, a slave is allowed to enter to inner chamber where nobody else, even a friend, uh, would ever enter. So again, no, Aitro is called a friend. Seven na- seven names, each one of them designate a friend. That's a mind boggling. That's really a message from Noahide. You are a friend, friend of Hashem. So what does it mean in practice? It means a lot. First of all, it means it reflects itself in the way, in a difference, in the way that Hashem talked to you in comparison to the way He talked to Israel. When Hashem talked to Israel, the difference is in a tone, in a language. To Israel, He would give commandment of his harsh tone and harsh punishment. You should you should do that and you should not do this. He threatened Israel with harsh retribution for the slightest violation of the commandment. <coughs> if we don't abide by strict idolatry or oneness, we are punished. Punishable. No heights or, or, or Gentiles are not scrutinize the same way. He wouldn't speak to Bnei Noach in such a harsh way. He would never say to Bnei Noach, to Noachite, thou shalt not do this or shall you not do that. The Ten Commandments, the language of the Ten Commandments, were given to Israel because the tone <coughs> and the retribution are severe. So he speak to his slaves. Bnei Noach, if you think about it, they have never been a slave to anyone. They are not even a slave to Hashem. So he therefore speak to Bnei Noach as friend, give him the good advices. He wouldn't say to Bnei Noach again, he wouldn't say to Bnei Noach, you should do this or you should do that. The seven commandments are not in the language of those negative and positive commandment, but only as a headline in the sky. Moral, moral principle, idolatry, adultery, bloodshed, theft. It doesn't say thou shalt not commit idolatry. Just give you the headline. Abide by those principles for your goodness. It's a, it's a friend. That's how we talk to a friend. Advise, order. But not in the sense of command that you will talk, thou shalt not uh, do this or that. That's an enormous difference between the way he talked to Israel and the way he talked to his friends, Yitro, and the Noahide. So, yeah, one exception is a negative commandment is, uh, I think about it, is when eating blood, you know, thou shalt not... uh, the only the negative, uh, com- the seven, number seven, that uh, prohibit uh, eating blood, he said, thou shall not eat. That's the only exception. 
So now we can lighten up. We have now third candle to lighten up in the menorah to to as a light as a to enlighten the uh, the night for all Bnei Noach in the world. And it says, "You are friend of Hashem." So the first candle said, "The Hashem's camp." Comprise of say itro camp Nenoch camp is part is integral part of the Shechina camp the travel along with Israel and the Holy Ark. The second message we said second candle was that you have direct ben the Noachite have direct contact with Hashem, no mediator. The third one we just said while Israel is a slave to Hashem. Itro or Noahide are Shem's friend. Well, we got already three candles lightened, being light, enlightened, burning. Is there any other? We need to find seven. <coughs> so let's go on and see what the what the dialogue says. And this fascinating dialogue between Moses and Itro that was written here on purpose. So he says, so Moses continue. So Moses says to his father-in-law, We are journeying to the place of Hashem, said, I will give it to you. Walk with us and we will give it to you. And Hashem has promised us. This is the beginning of the, of the dialogue. We started with the name. Now we said the beginning of the dialogue. He asked, he asked, uh, he asked Itro to join us. Go with us, walk with us, and we will do good to you. Before Hashem has promised good concerning Israel. So whatever Hashem give us, we'll give it to you. So Moses, of course, think at that point that uh, the journey will take only a few months. Little does he know, as most commentary says, although he was a prophet, but he couldn't tell at that point. So it, the journey will take 40 years. So he asked Yitro, come with us. Take a few more months and we'll give you whatever goodness we'll get, you will get also. <clears throat> By the way, had Itro converted to Judaism, uh, Moses wouldn't have asked him. It would have been self-understood that Itro should, should leave his home and join Israel. He shouldn't have asked him to join. So here, the, this very word, come with us and we'll do good to you, you can use it as a slogan uh, from Bnei Noach. Uh, uh, this could be the notion of the fourth candle. Whoever goes with Israel, Hashem will bless him too. Fine. Can we, let's continue the dialogue and see if we can derive more important messages. So... Now, Itro said to him, and that's a surprise, a very surprised answer. And Itro, he, Itro, said to him, to, to Moses, I shall not go. I would rather go to my own land and my own birthplace. Wow, Itro refuses to go and he said, I wish to go home. Again, had he converted, it, it, this wouldn't be possible. That's a sign that he is free to go home. And 
we can arrive here at enormous message, enormous difference between Israel and Noahide. You see, uh, look at Ruth. Ruth the Moabite, when she, when she uh, joined Judaism, she said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, in a, in a book, in a scroll of Ruth, everyone knows those words, your nation is my nation and your God is my God. So she leaves home. She was the daughter of a king. She leaves home and a God and a, and a nation and she joined Israel. She pack and leave. So every convert to, to Judaism has to leave his birthplace and fatherland to join Israel. But Noahite, as Zitra says here, I go, I, I don't have to go with you, I stay home. Noahite, like Itro, remains in his place. Here you can turn home. So if a Texan becomes a Ben Noach, a Noahite, he remains Texan forever, unless he wants to move. He doesn't have to. A Tennessean who become a Noahite remains a Tennessean. Hashem doesn't ask a Noahite to pack and leave and make aliyah to the Holy Land. You know, some may think so. I met few people that thought that being a Noahite they compel them to leave and make aliyah. Absolutely not. Hitro says, I'm going home. He had a full right to do that. And this option of leaving a staying place is not true for Israel. Because take me for a guy, you know, for me, I can live very successfully, be it a doctor or, or businessman, whatever. I can live in Memphis, Tennessee. I can live in Lafayette, Louisiana. I can be very comfortable in, in my financial or other aspects, socially and so on. But I would always feel a, a, a guilt, so to speak, and a strong desire to, and longing to pack and leave and to go to Israel because all Israel, all Jews have to live to, ideally to live to live in Israel. It doesn't happen. It's, sometimes it's not, it's not so easy to do, but at least you feel that way. But Noahite are in principle exempt from that guilt. And Noahite is comfortable whenever they leave. The very name Noah means comfortable. So you are comfortable wherever you, you unlike Abraham, Abraham was ordered to pack and leave. But Noah had no. So Abraham is the first Hebrew. Hebrew, by, by definition, is the one who moves. He always moves in the wilderness in the world, but he also moves towards the land of Israel. So what does it mean? Uh, what, what is practical? What practically uh, conclusion can you derive from that metaphor? It's an enormous message because it reflects itself this relationship that you have to your home, as opposed to Israel, is reflected in in prayer, for instance. A prayer. What is a prayer? A prayer book is the expression of your goal and aspirations. So when Israel writes his prayer book, 
Israel expressed the desire to return to Zion, to see, to rebuild Jerusalem, to restore David kingship, to restore the temple, and so on. This aspiration is our prayer book. But Noahite don't have to do that. Noahite has different aspirations. Yeah, Noahite can also pray for the sake of Israel. May Hashem return Israel to its place. Fine. But first of all, as a print in principle, a person pray not for other people but for himself. So you should build you should build or write a prayer book that is not a copy of Israel or some version of Israel's Sidur. I, I know that people wrote all kind of Sidurim, they imitated uh, Rabbi this Sidur gone and this gone Sidur. But Israel but Noahide has completely different aspirations. Noahide they pray for their own goals of trouble what they need, they need rain and time, they need health, prosperity, uh, good children, uh, peace in the world, whatever. You have many goals to ask Hashem for, you comprise your own prayer, don't copy. And most of it, you are at home. You don't go back to any place, you're not in exile. And that's an important difference between Noahide and Israel so much that we can say, well, we find a fifth candle now to in a menorah that shines the message. May Noah live comfortable wherever Hashem has placed them. Noahide don't have to make an aliyah to Israel. Well, we already almost exhausted our possibility, but we need two more because we have seven candles. So let's go back to the Parsha and read it again. Let's focus on, the, on this fascinating dialogue between Yitro and Moses that was on purpose written here. So we just learned that Yitro refused to go to travel to Israel and he said, I'll go home. Moses, however, doesn't let him go home and he continued to besiege him. And he said, uh, verse 10, 31, But he, Moses said, Please do not leave us. For I am asking this because you are familiar with our camping in the wilderness and you might serve as our eyes. This verse is an unbelievable verse. There is nothing like that in the entire Torah. Moses begs. Yitro asking him, begging him, please do not leave us. It is so unusual for Moses to speak like that. Moses never asked anything from any man. Even when he stood before Pharaoh, this mighty Pharaoh, he didn't ask him or beg him to, to go, but he simply came and said, let my people go. He just put a demand. Moses never begged or asked anything. Even when he flew, <coughs> when he fled, I'm sorry, <coughs> when he fled from, for his life after he had killed the Egyptian there, the beginning of the book of Exodus, 
he he run he find himself run for his life find himself uh, with Itro's daughter uh, he saved them from the shepherd and uh, he so he fighting for he's running away from his life we coming to Itro and Itro says oh please say you can you with you may send with us stay with us and the verse says about Moses Moses agreed to stay with the man we don't hear Moses asking uh, Itro to refuse as a, to stay as a refuge because you know uh, the Egyptian running after me Itro asked him and he agreed to stay the Torah is very particular about it as opposite to our Parsha which is suddenly just the opposite Moses uh, says to the same Itro please come with us he begs him so why is it so so there are several explanations first of all could be uh, that Moses really needed him could be why uh, for instance Orachim says could be that uh, Moses needed him because uh, if it had if he had left at this point uh, what kind of impact it would have on Israel's spirit? They see, they would see. Oh, this Yitro, wise, smart man that he just came and gave us this uh, beautiful, smart uh, advice uh, how to set up our judiciary system. This man knows knows the uh, the world. Is God is good in worldly matter. Now we pack and leave. So it's maybe maybe we don't. It seems like we he, he know that we have no chance to win. So Rachaim says could be that uh, Moses was afraid that if if Itro was would leave, it will leave such a bad impact uh, on on the, on the, on the people who watch him doing that. So therefore, he asked him to stay. Well, could be. <coughs> but. Uh, Indeed, that's what Moses says. If you if you listen to what he says, I am asking this because you are familiar with our camping, and you might serve us in in eyes. So, uh, well, from the language of Moses, it seems like he has some other agenda. And Ababanel, for instance, says that uh, he really wanted him to be as an eye in the desert, he used to because it knew. As a scout, he knew the way, so he wanted him to know to show the way. But that explanation seems unlikely because we just said that Moses actually didn't know, didn't need any uh, scout. He didn't need. He, he followed the cloud. He had the best, best uh, uh, map in the the best uh, uh, scout in the world. It's uh, it's a shame himself. He was showing him the way by the pillar. So why did he need uh, Itro? Moreover, if you think about it, Itro for 80 years or 60 years or so, Mo Moses was now 80 years old. He ran to Itro when he was young, like uh, 20. So for 60 years he lived with Itro as a shepherd. He knew the desert no less than Itro. So why should he ask Itro to come and stay with us because you know the desert? Moses knew the desert no less. And not only that, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's home. And he probably knew geography as as possible, as humanly possible. He didn't know, he didn't need Itro to show him the way. The prince of Egypt didn't know Itro, didn't need Itro.
He knew geography very well. So why did now we return our question? So why did he ask him, beg him to stay, to, to, uh, to be like our eyes? So some say our eyes actually mean, relate to the Sanhedrin. Our Sanhedrin is, uh, the, the, the court, Jewish court, is always called as a Sanhedrin because uh, they are the eyes of the people. So he asked him, join us as a Sanhedrin, which is really what happened, because for, uh, the children of Yitro, at least, were members of Sanhedrin for generations, either converted or not converted. So that could be a good explanation. <coughs> but uh, still, the, we didn't answer the question, why did he beg him? He could just say, come and you should just return. Come join us and uh, we'll do it for you. But why the begging? By the way, why, what, what, what kind of contribution Yitro would make to the Sanhedrin? You know, the Sanhedrin, uh, uh, member of Sanhedrin should have, um, nobody was, was, uh, was elected to Sanhedrin unless he knew worldly matter. Being a Torah scholar was never enough. You should have known uh, some profession, you should have been a doctor or, or astronomy or merchant or some knowledgeable of the world. You need to know languages. Altogether, they knew all, almost all the languages in the in Middle East of that time. So they always look for people with, who are smart in worldly matter because they, after all, they sit in judgment and need to know the way how people behave in the market and how they want. So they needed somebody like Ito to be our eyes in a worldly matter. That could possible. That's a good explanation. Yet, why the begging? Why did he say something that he never says to anybody else? Come, please come with us. So here we return to Orachim, the holy Orachim who live in Jerusalem in the 17th century, 18th century, sorry. And uh, he asks, he says, uh, Moses, he says, beg each because, listen to that, he wants to establish a viable, durable relationship between them. What's the idea? The idea come from Kabbalah. And Orachim was a great Kabbalist. Now, the, the Kabbalah have a principle, follow a principle, or we teach us that there is a principle of, of a balance between giver and taker. Otherwise, if you show so much love and... and and attention to somebody without asking something in return, you intimidate the receiver. The receiver will be ashamed. We are not built to receive endless shower without giving something else in, in, in return. In fact, that's the secret of the Torah. The Torah, Hashem, give us endless prov uh, good providential care, care about us. So in order to not to be intimidated, uh, we need to give him something in return, as if he, as if he needs us to, to abide by the Torah. So we get a reward. So we are not ashamed. 
So there is a balance between giver and taker. Here again, uh, he asks, he, he says to he says to Itro, come and be our eyes. We need you. So earlier he said, I will we do good to you. But now we need not only uh, you need us. We can we can do good to you, but uh, uh, we need you. So if that case, uh, Orachim says, if if we need you no less than you need us. The bondage is is firm. It will hold, and that's a good a good uh, a good uh, fifth or sixth light of the candle in Menorah. A good notion. Israel needs Bnei Noach, not less than Bnei Noach needs Israel. Israel needs Bnei Noach to be our eyes. To be our eyes in a, in a worldly manner, in science, in industry, in support, in medicine. We need friends, friends of Hashem. Uh, and uh, that by itself is a beautiful sixth candle in menorah. Israel need you, Israel need Bnei Noach, and Noach need Bnei Israel. In equal term. That's why Moses begged him to establish a viable relationship. <clears throat> now, I thought that say dialogue is enough, but it's not enough because Moses continue to say to Ito, "If you go with us, it shall be that the same goodness that the Hashem will be have to us will do to you." Here, the rabbi says he, he promised Ito something in addition. He asked, he, he, he promised uh, uh, Ito a, a very special land in Israel uh, to be allocated to him because no, Israel is going to be allocated to the Israelite, to the 12th tribe. But if Ito joined him, he will be getting a special uh, uh, estate on his own. In fact, it says there in the book of Samuel that uh, each of children lived in Jericho for generations. And they are now, whether or not they converted to Judaism is immaterial. They could have lived there as a Noahide. And what, why Jericho? Because the story goes that the, when Joshua allocated the area when he conquered Jericho, he took an area of 500 by 500 square amot in Jericho, and he designated it to be given to any tribe who would donate a parcel of that size to the temple. So any tribe would would get uh, would donate five by 500 by 500 amot square lot for the holy temple. He will get in return Jericho. But that was a time of war, and there was no, at that point, no tribe uh, donated uh, from his land to the temple. So what did Joshua do? He took that land and parcel, and he gave it to Itro children, the Caini, they were called at that point. Caini is one of Itro's names. And and from here we learn that uh, actually... 
uh, the, no, the, the, the lot, the land that was allocated to, to, uh, to Itro was the same size as uh, was allocated later on for the temple, and that by itself has a message in it. How, how revered Noah uh, Yitro was there, and the children in Israel, they got a lot that was first dedicated for the temple, and its size, 500, 500 by 500, was the exact size of the land that uh, they got for the temple. <coughs> so here we have now the six, Six uh, candle, I think six. Come with us, and we will do good for you. So, what, uh, what, uh, how do I know that this is true? That come with us, will good to you. In fact, uh, what is goodness? It will be. Uh, now we come to the song itself. You can actually, if you look at the song itself, we can derive also a message for Bnei Noach because it says, let's read the song. And it came to pass when the, when the ark journeyed from forth that Moses said, Arise of Hashem so that your enemies may be scattered and those who hate you would feel, flee from your continents. And when he gently came to rest, he said, Return on Hashem the ten thousand or thousand of Israel. This is number, uh, book number, uh, Numbers chapter 10, 35-36. Let's read it again. Return, O Hashem, when they gently came to rest. So as they travel, uh, the ark was in front of the camp and touching, Itro was very close to it. But when they suddenly, finally parked, Moses now said a different song. Parking, as they travel, uh, the holy the ark scattered the enemies and the scorpions and the snakes. But when they park, what kind of blessing now he would give? What kind of song Moses would sing? He said, Return, O Hashem, the ten of thousands of the thousand of Israel. So, <coughs> the Rabbi Raphael, Shmuel Raphael Hirsch, uh, Rabbi uh, Simpson Raphael Hirsch, uh, is a German foundation, the founder of the modern orthodoxy in Germany in last century. So, actually in, in 19th century. So he's a famous author, and he asks, why does Moses say here, he count here, return the 10,000 of the thousands? In Hebrew, in ancient Hebrew, uh, one should actually mention, start with a smaller number and go up to the big number. Like, like if you say, when you count the life of Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, the verse says, Sarah lived seven, twenty, and a hundred years. So the Torah starts with seven, twenty, and a hundred. Smart with a small num number climbing up. But here the Torah says the opposite order. Uh, count ten thousand first, then the thousands. 
So when the park, Moses see ten of thousands of uh, ten of thousands and then thousands. So Rabbi Yerushim Shalufar Hish says the the big number refer not to Israel but to Itro camp, the Noahide camp, who will be one day so large it will be ten of thousands. Compared to Israel, will always be small at the center. So now we have a picture which is different when a travel. As a travel, uh, Noahide camp was not as big, and and the Oriar could stand before. But when they finally park, when it's a time of peace, and Israel will come back to its to its place, and they sit in Jerusalem and it will be an ark will be in the center and this holiness circle of holiness will spread around it. The camp of Itro is blessed to be enlarged to be ten of thousand, ten times or whoever a great number of Noahide much more than Israel. If Israel is millions, Noahide will be billions. That's the blessing of Moses. And that's why there is a different song when they travel and when they park. When they park, it will be <coughs> the largest camp will fill the earth. And the ark will be in the center. What a vision. So now we have seven candles to shine. Everyone can shine it, not a priest. Not necessarily a priest, but everyone will find the menorah can, can, can lighten the candle and send it, spread the light of it any place on earth. Candle number one would say, Noahide are an integral part of the divine camp. They travel the wilderness in, in history. While Israel has a sixth camp, Noahide comprises the seventh. They are part, you are not part, Noahide are not spectators, but participants. <coughs> Remember, the camp was always facing the four corners of earth. Number two candle. Noahide can have a close relationship with Hashem, with no intermediary, no mediators. Three. Noahides like Yitro, are friend of Hashem, while Israel is considered a slave to Hashem. That reflects itself with the language, with the tone, with the number of, of the commandment. Number four, candle. Come with us and we'll share good with you. Number five. While Noahide are, as the children of Noah, they are comfortable whenever they live. They need not make an aliyah to the land of Israel. <coughs> as Eitro says, I'll go home. And he's allowed to go home. Number six. Israel need no hides as eyes in worldly matter. Israel need Noahide to help them and 
and uh, in worldly matter. And Israel needs no height, no less than no height need Israel. This will be the same six camp, six lamb uh, candle. Number seven candle would be as the Israel Park and the Holy Ark in the center. Noahide camp or Ito camp will be the largest in the world. It will fill the four corners of earth. We can say amen, let it be so. So you have a nice day. Uh, thank you for listening to me. And read the Parsha time and again. And see if we can derive more, more uh, messages to Bnei Noah from the same Parsha or from any other Parsha. So shalom and let and we shall see each other. Bye.